This is Arna Landrum for KRSM Radio. I've been seeing tweets and Facebook posts, um, posts all over social media actually, where people are talking about 2020 as just one of the most difficult years that we've gone through uh, collectively as a nation. And then I started seeing folks saying, is it weird for me to say that this isn't even the hardest year that I've had in my personal life? Or people who are actually thriving in a lot of ways in 2020. And I felt unsure of how to talk about it with people experiencing so much grief, um, so much isolation and loneliness, uh, economic hardship. And one thing that's been interesting for me um, is I'm not a parent right now, right? I'm not a parent, I don't have a kid in school, but it's been interesting seeing all of the ways that people are talking about schooling and parenting and education during the pandemic. And we're now a little more than seven months since the day that kids packed up their stuff and went home from school and many of them haven't been back. And some of them are back in ways that are nothing like they were ever, like nothing like they ever experienced before. And, you know, back in March, it feels like people were waiting for some magic moment when things could go back to normal. And we realized that things may never go back to normal. And so with all of that, I've also had the experience of getting to um, overhear a lot of education happen in my home because I live with an educator. <laughs> so, um, well, I could introduce you, but why don't I let you introduce yourself? What's your name? My name is Nicolette Williams. I am a school counselor and um, support services coordinator for a couple small private schools in the Twin Cities. Um, I packed up and came home on March 16th like everybody else and have not been back since. Um, and I have almost 200 and some uh, K to 8th grade students that I hang out with and talk to and talk to the teachers and parents of all day, every day. So I have seen pretty much all sides of how school looks in this pandemic. Thanks, Nicolette. Can I call you Nikki? Yes, you may call me Nikki. <laughs> I always call you Nikki. So one thing the reason that I'm talking to you is because most of what I've seen on social media about um, parenting during the pandemic, specifically parenting school-aged children during the pandemic, is how difficult it is and how there's so many expectations on children to, to adapt to this weird situation and there's, you know, just like so much pressure and that there's no way that kids are going to be able to do, to do well in this environment. But what I've learned from you is that just like the people who are maybe having one of their best personal years in 2020, there's a lot of students for whom this distance learning, like getting outside of what we perceive as normal education has actually been really, really beneficial for them. Um, so I'd love it if you could give, I don't know, just a couple examples of how you've seen students actually thriving in this environment. Absolutely. Um, I think the phrase that you 
said that struck me the most is the pressure and the expectation to adapt to school like this and how impossible that is for lots of kids to do. How impossible it is for lots of kids to adjust and adapt and find ways of being successful uh, while doing school at home online. And what I hear when I hear you say that is actually all of the ways that we expect and pressure kids and force them to adapt to school in the building every year, all the time. Um, and how difficult that is for some kids to accomplish. Uh, so the kids that I'm seeing who truly are thriving, it really almost is a completely mirrored list of the kids who are having the hardest time in school, in the building last year, who are doing the best in distance learning huh. now. Um, and it, for each of them, it, there are unique reasons, but the overall themes are everything that made school hard in person is now not a thing anymore. It's a thing that they have control over or some like agency around. It's something that is either protective or empowering. Um, we have lots of kids with lots of niche tech knowledge who are now like the experts that their teacher can go to, which is a really cool experience for them. Um, all of the kids who have, well, not all of the kids, but lots of the kids that I was talking to last year about their like crippling social anxiety and their teachers just wishing that they would say something ever in class, ever to anybody, ever. They now have complete control of their mute buttons and their power buttons and their chat features. They can privately chat their teacher and they can chat their friends and they can turn it off when they need to and they can do it without their camera showing so people can't see their face. So now teachers, honest to goodness, are like, okay, so you can't chat me anymore because it's been every three seconds for 45 <laughs> minutes and you've said too many things. Like, I need other things to happen. And these are kids that we genuinely had never heard the voice of in the building, in school. Um, kids who could never figure out how to self-advocate in school and couldn't really figure out how to receive a lesson and pick out the pieces that they needed help on and articulate that in a question, much less like get their teacher's attention in front of their peers and acknowledge that they needed help, now can watch the video as many times as they need to. Um, as somebody who experiences anxiety, I very, very viscerally know the experience of being asked a question and the second it's time for you to talk, all of the information that's ever been in your brain is just gone. I couldn't say my name, I don't, I definitely know the answer to that question, but I cannot say words right now. Just as an anxious response to being asked a question. Okay. And those kids now get to take the time that they need to process. They can watch the lesson as many times as they need to before they have to come up with a question. They have the tools right there at their fingertips um, and are being empowered to use it where it might have been like a stop texting during class or don't doodle during uh -huh. class in person. Now it's like, if you don't take notes, I don't know what's going on. So I would love for you to doodle. I would love for you to, I 
message me all the time and let me know what you're thinking. If I understand you from other conversations that we've had, it seems like a lot of the students who had been identified as having some behavioral issues or um, who are sort of defiant in the building, those kids are having a much more regulated, um, easier time of it at home. Uh, could you just, yeah, talk about that a bit. Um, it's all hypothesis, but after knowing some of these kids on a daily basis for like four years in a row, I think my hypotheses are pretty sound. Um, again, different for every kid. In some cases, uh, kids who are just so consumed by their social sphere that they can't really attend to the classwork because they're impressing classmates or bothered by classmates or just purely distracted by classmates. Um, they don't have that problem anymore. They aren't in the room with those people. Another thing I've seen, and that ties back into what I was saying before about how we force kids to adapt to the school building. Now we have kids who can do school in their beanbag chair with their favorite blanket and all the snacks that they need to manage throughout the day. Um, and we ask them not to eat on camera and that's all it takes. And we have kids who can decide for themselves and are learning really excellent communication skills around finding out when their body needs a break and how to take that break appropriately. Um, one of my favorite stories is a fifth grader who was taking a test online, so he had to have his camera on um, and stay seated in front of the camera so we knew that he wasn't cheating. And about every 20 minutes he would privately message his teacher and ask, for a break and tell her exactly what activity he was planning on doing, including running around, like taking a lap around the outside of his house and timing himself. Um, and he would set goals for how many questions he wanted to answer in the next 20 minutes. And then if he could answer that many questions, could he have another break? And we have kids who put themselves on mute and bounce basketballs and just kind of do all of the self regulatory things that they need and that they know they need that were not accessible to them in the classroom. Super distracting to have one fourth grader bouncing a basketball in the back of your classroom. But if he has his ca camera on and his microphone on mute, you can see that his eyes are completely trained in on this lesson. He just needs his hands to be busy for a little while. Well, so you said that that would be distracting in a classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think that that brings me to another question that I have. Well, first, I have some commentary. Because, you know, and I, listen, it's been a long while since I was in elementary school. Um, and I was also a kid who was actually like, um, like a high grade kid, but had a difficult time with the classroom setup. And so, like, I know that I've experienced, and it sounds like these kids have experienced some frustration with the one-size-fits-all approach to education. And that is, right now, in the U.S. education system, for the most part, there are different models, but for the most part, there's a way that the classroom works, regardless of the humans inside of it. Because, well, I could, I could hypothesize for a lots of the because, but it's easier, it feels to me like it's easier to tailor 
the learning experience for each learner when they have their own environments. What do you think is possible? How can we take some of this knowing that this kid just needs a run break and this kid can pay attention if they get to play with their basketball or this kid actually just needs a snack and some calories and they can pay attention. How can we take some of that tailoring into the classroom if there's ever any such thing as a normal classroom again? How can we take those things into the classroom and have them be enriching experiences and not distracting ones? This is one of my favorite questions. Um, this is the brainstorming job that I'm tasked with also often and it's also the brainstorming job that keeps me from stuff I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I think a lot of it is not actually tailoring the kids experience but actually tailoring the adult expectations of what's required and what's not required. Um, the schools that I work at do have some value around tailoring the tailoring to kids' success. Every kid is successful based on different things and how close can we get them to that. Often where we fall short is we would love to let all the kids take a water break whenever we want, but there's a couple kids who want to just hang out in the hallway and there's a couple kids who really, we don't really know if we can trust them to have that much unsupervised time. And now they are showing us that they are well capable of holding that responsibility to communicate appropriately and responsibly take the breaks that they're asking for, for genuine need. Um, so those are some things that might be changeable. I think the other part of it, um, the other side from respecting kids enough to let them try being responsible with these kinds of things, is to change our expectations for what it needs to look like to be paying attention or to be engaged with class. I have had some kids who the thing that made, for whom the thing that made them successful in the classroom was really convincing their teacher that they did not need to be making eye contact with her in order to hear her lessons. I've had second graders who got to dig through a box of Legos during the whole lesson so that they could perfectly recite it back to their teacher because if they had to sit and look at her, they lost all the words she was saying because they were so focused on sitting still. And adjusting her expectation for what it looked like when they were paying attention is the thing that made them successful in the classroom. Rather than saying, okay kids, no more desks, you can sit where you want, we put them in the desk and when we see that that's not working, we change ourselves to meet them at what they need because they go for it. They're kids. They don't say, hey, I think it might be useful if I just started playing with Legos. They lose interest in the lesson. They go play with Legos. Then they usually get in trouble. So when we can tell the teacher, let's just pause and see what happens. If he's, let's just let him rock out the Le Legos for a little while today and see what happens. And then hear that he can perfectly recite that lesson back to her and flawlessly handle his classwork after that um then we've got it and we did the kids experience didn't change much at all he just did what he need, knew he needed to do so i think one walking out on a little limb of faith and giving them some responsibilities and just trusting that they can handle those and then two 
questioning why that is our expectation. Why is that what we need to know that they're learning? Is there any other way to know that they're learning, that they're engaged with us? Is what they're doing naturally the thing that they need to be doing? And is that something that we can live with? Because in way more cases, especially now we're seeing, it works. Well, and we don't do that. I mean, as adults, I think of all of the long meetings that I've sat through where we take a break every so often so people can just get water, um, or we don't have the expectation that anything like that needs to happen on a break. Mm -hmm. If you need the bathroom, go. If you mm -hmm. need some water, go. If you just need to be out of the room, go. Um, most of the meeting spaces I go to now have things for your hands, like Play-Dohs and putty and things like that to keep you engaged as the work is happening. And so I, you and I have talked about this. I often think it's quite interesting the, the level of expectations that adults can have for children that we don't have for ourselves. Yes, that is one of my most common challenges at work is, this kid stresses me out so bad, can you please help this kid self-regulate? Well, I think he's doing all right. Do you want to talk about how we might get you to a calmer place? How can we help you regulate when this kid is doing this thing that stresses you out but isn't actually like preventing him from learning? Um, another really cool thing that we're seeing now is parents who get a front row seat to their students learning all day long. Um, so the emails and the phone calls that we were sending last year and getting valid pushback for are you trying to single my kid out are you sure you you know I wasn't there I can't exactly say at home this is how I handle discipline but I don't know how to tell you how to run your classroom you can't discipline my kid in the same ways now parents are seeing it up close and personal and I'm seeing lots of parent-teacher partnerships forming um, just off that common basis of knowledge of what the work looks like and what the kid attending to this work looks like and where the gaps are and how to fill those parents who are like I did not know that second grade was this hard um I did not know that they were doing stuff at this level in second grade or saying I thought my kid could read better than this what's up and the teacher being able to say, well, we're working on this part of phonics and this part of comprehension. Your kid's actually on par there just because they don't pronounce every word perfectly isn't actually a problem. So there's now so much richer of a conversation happening between parents and teachers about what their expectations are and about what good learning looks like and what quote-unquote normal learning might look like um which is really cool and at the same time I think that is also one of the things that people say is hardest about parenting while your kid is home doing school is we really can't like it is hard for me to be on a screen all day long on a call all day long um and we're expecting five and six and 12 year olds to also do this with their peers and it is 
an eye-opening experience in a lot of ways, but not all bad ones. This is all really good. One thing I wanted to circle back to was you talking about tailoring the adult expectation to what the student is bringing. And now you just follow me because it isn't a, mm -hmm. an, an A to B line. But I think of how people don't trust youth to lead or to be aware of current events or to understand the politics that are happening around them. And like right now, we are in a city. We're in a neighborhood that's been rocked by police violence. We have the George Floyd Memorial Square where there's activity happening all the time. How do you see politics and just the reality of the day, the pandemic, the uprising, the election, how are you seeing that come up with the students? How are they being really mindful and engaged in ways that teachers might not have noticed in a traditional classroom setting? Um, so you're asking, how am I seeing kids be aware of, engage with the world around them right now? How, how are they showing their awareness of the pandemic and of social movements and of politics and election seasons? Um, lots is the short answer. It's really easy and common for adults, parents, teachers, everybody to assume, oh, he's five. He doesn't like a, commer a political commercial is literally just the thing keeping him from his cartoons. Like he does not care. He's not listening. Um, I'm here to tell you that that is not true because they bring those, they bring those bits and pieces that they gather from all over the world, from their parents' conversation with their uncle in the car on the drive home. Um, from commercials, from conversations they overhear, from their favorite celebrities' tweets about these same big topics. And they piece it together at their own developmental level, and then it spills out. So I've had every age of kid from kindergarten to eighth grade mention all of these big topics in some way, shape, or form. And it is sometimes in funny, like, why did those protesters have to take away the glazed donuts at Holiday gas station? Like that is the f first graders take on that, that social movement all the way up through eighth graders really digging into the electoral process and into social movements. And it does not matter if they are in science class, English class, social studies, homeroom, they meet with the principal about how they're going to apply to eighth grade and ask her if she believes in white privilege and if she knows where it came from. And they are swimming in it all the time, whether we realize it or not. And in my personal experience, every one of these kids has shown skills beyond my wildest imagination, skills that I never would have assumed that they would have for taking bits of information, figuring out what else they need to know about that information, and then forming 
their true, honest, own opinion about it. I think a lot of the times we hear kids talk about these really big topics that they couldn't possibly wrap their brain around, and we say, well, if he's saying an opinion that he must have gotten it from a parent or from a teacher, he's heard it somewhere and is just repeating it. And I have had parents come in and tell me directly that that could not possibly be the case because they share a different opinion from their kid but the kid is like well I saw this thing and this is how I felt about it and so then I decided how, that this is how I feel about this guy or about these people who are doing this thing. In the positive we've had kids who are like I decided that those are people that I like and that I support because I like that thing that they did. We've had kids be like nope I've decided that that's a bad guy but nobody had to tell them that that's a bad guy they said well, I don't think that guys who say that could be a good guy. It's not necessarily that they're grasping concepts that are beyond their years. It's that they are interpreting what's going on around them at their developmental level and that they're interpreting way more than we give them credit for. And that I'm pleasantly finding out that they have the skills to handle these big topics that we wouldn't have brought up with them because we wouldn't think that they could process that and handle that much information. And they are putting us in our place every day and telling us not to underestimate them and how wrong we were. I think we underestimate our youth at our own peril, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, I'm not gonna take up any more of your evening. Uh, thank you for joining me. This has been Arna Landrum, KRSM Radio. Uh, talking with Nicolette Williams, who is a school counselor and student services coordinator in Twin City Schools. Thank you so much, Nicolette. Thank you so much for having me and for this focus on some positives. This has been a really awesome time. Thanks.